0: Uh, some announcements really quickly. Everything is on uh, normal today. So uh, kids Sunday school after the 10:15 service, so 11:15 to 11:30. Youth confirmation is from 11:30 to 12:15. So if you're in that, uh, that's on today. New members class tonight at six. We are talking about infant baptism and why the Bible teaches how the Bible teaches infant baptism, why the Bible teaches infant baptism, and why it's important. So anybody who's once, too, is welcome to hang out with us for that conversation tonight. Men's Bible study at uh, Tuesday morning at 6.30. Screw tape letters Bible study Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock. If you want to participate in that on Zoom, you'll, of course, want to be reading the screwtape letters. I can get you a copy if you need one. Uh, let me know if you want a link to that Zoom invitation, to that Zoom meeting. Uh, community groups. Uh, Monday evening, Tuesday evening. There's a new one starting up on Monday evening here in several weeks, uh, led by Shanna. If you're interested in that, you can get a hold of me or the Moldenhowers. Um, what, what, there was a ladies' Bible study at Saturday morning. Stacey's going to tell you about that a little bit more in just a second. And there was one more thing that I'm forgetting that I can't remember. But Okay, uh, we're going to have uh, uh, Stacy come and talk to us a little bit about youth group stuff and also about the women's Bible study
1: hi good morning yesterday we had our very first session for the ladies bible study it was fantastic if you were unable to make it um, but you had already signed up i do have books in the back so you can get your book today before you go that way you can start reading along with us this week and if you would like to join us please do please join us just come on saturday or let me know today i'll get you a book it's called flourish it was fantastic Um, The way this is designed is five days of the week, you study at home, and you do the bookwork at your house, and then we come together on Saturday, and we just talk about it, and we talk about life together, and it was really great. This Saturday, our youth group will be going back out to Granite City for the homeless outreach. It's Valentine's weekend, which is pretty fantastic. We're going to work Tuesday night on putting together some little Valentine treats to hand out on Saturday. There's no greater love story in the whole world than that of the cross. So we're really looking forward to being able to go out there this weekend especially and just hand these out and connect with people there. If you would like to join us, it's at the Community Care Center in Granite City. And uh, you can ask me for more details if you'd like that from 1230 to 3. They also take other donations. Warm winter clothing is ideal right now. Blankets, bags, shoes, things like that. And then finally... For the youth group missions trip in June, I will have informational meetings these next two Tuesday nights just before youth group starts, 6 o'clock downstairs. If you are interested at all in learning more about this trip, please come. I'm looking right now to get preliminary signups, people who think I might maybe possibly want to go or help in some way. That way we can work on a budget to see how many will be attending so we can get the real committed signups going pretty soon. But right now it's just informational, come to find out more. It's for junior and senior high, but I need adults to come too. I need chaperones, I'll need drivers, We'd like to incorporate Bible study while we're up there and have time where we're just really in fellowship with one another and with God. So anyone who wants to come and lead a Bible study, we will also be looking into doing community work in the communities, like actual hard physical labor. So I'll need help with that. And I need a cook. I need someone to plan out my meals and feed us. So lots of opportunities if you're interested in coming. So come Tuesday night, six o'clock downstairs to hear more.
2: Yes,
1: June twenty-first is the Monday, so it would be the nineteenth. It's a Saturday to Saturday trip, June nineteenth to that next one. Good question. Okay.
0: Thank you, Stacy. Let's uh let's open in prayer this morning. God, I pray that as we uh as we come now into your presence, uh, or or better yet, as you come and give yourself here to us, that we would hear your voice this morning in your word, that we would experience all the fullness of you as you give yourself to us in your word and in your sacrament, that we would become, uh, by, being ex- by having this experience of you, that we would become uh, better lovers of you and uh, more faithful trusters of you and find our hope more assuredly in you than we did before. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me and let's continue. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's confess our sin to God our Father. O Lord of hosts, look on the affliction of Your servants and remember us. We pour out our souls to You, because by our own efforts we have failed. Nothing we have tried has worked. We have tried again and again. And still we have failed. O Lord of hosts, look on the affliction of Your servants and remember us. Save us from the embarrassment of our failure. Save us from envying those who have apparently succeeded. Grant us some signs of success that we not always be ashamed. O Lord of hosts, look on the affliction of Your servants and remember us. You know our need. You know our struggles our brokenness, our sins. You know that without Your mercy, we can do nothing. Grant us mercy for the sake of Your Son, Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the Gospel of Christ from First John. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. From Psalm 13. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. The Old Testament reading is Isaiah 40. I, I quoted this. Or I read. I didn't quote it. I read to you from Isaiah 40 in a sermon a few, uh, a few weeks ago. Isaiah 40 is so rich. And we're just going to read the back half of it. I would highly recommend uh, sometime soon, sometime this afternoon, grabbing a copy of your Bible and reading the whole thing. It's going to, it's high, the first few verses we're going to read highly extols God in comparison with the political leaders of the world and how they serve at God's, at God's whim. And he raises them up, and when he's done with them, he puffs on them and they go away. And so don't be worried. Don't be scared of them. Here's what Isaiah says. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth it is he, God, who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. It is God who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted. Now he's talking about the rulers of the rulers of the earth. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither. And the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see, who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, he's talking about the stars, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exalted, exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark chapter 1. Glory to you, O Lord. Immediately Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And there he prayed, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ.
2: Oh church arise and put your armor on Hear the call of Christ our captain For now the weak can say that they are strong In the strength that God has given We should have i <laughs>
0: Epistle reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, um, starting in verse 16, Paul says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge. So as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. That I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God myself, but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, let's talk about um, uh, 1 Corinthians 9 a little bit. And I, this is the kind of sermon, uh, I, I'm saying this because it's true and also because I'm trying to intrigue you a little bit. This is the kind of sermon that, like, if I when I preach these sermons before, I get in a little bit of trouble. So, just let me ask you for grace and to be patient with me, and uh, put the best construction on everything I'm saying. That's kind of a, a lame. I'm not trying to excuse bad sermon making, but uh, just be gracious with me, okay? There's three things. This is so. You, can I ask you to remember the epistle reading from last week? And I know I, I hardly, you know, I can't remember what what I ate for breakfast, but in the epistle reading last week, Paul was discussing the question about eating meat offered to idols. Do you guys remember that? And the question was, in the church at Corinth, there were some Christians who said, you can't eat meat offered to idols. No way, that's pagan. That's like compromise. You can't do that. It's been offered in a pagan temple as a part of a pagan worship service. You can't eat that meat. And then there are other Christians in the church who are like, God invented cows. It's just beef. Why can't I eat it? And do you remember Paul sides with those people. Paul's like, it's just cows. Like, if you want to eat the meat, go ahead and eat the meat. But he says the people over here who are like so troubled by the fact that you're eating that meat, they're wrong, but they're your brothers and sisters of Christ. So love them. Love the weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. And if it's going to hurt them if they see you eating meat, then don't eat meat in front of them. All right? That's kind of the background. Now Paul's going to do, this. this is, our reading follows up on that one gonna—he wants to do three things in here. He wants to wrap up the discussion of why it's important for people to love the weaker ones. It's the first thing. Second thing is he's going to explain why he's never insisted that they pay him money to preach the gospel. <laughs> and then the third thing he, he wants to do is to explain how those two things go together. <laughs> why it's important to love the weaker ones, and how that's connected to the fact that he's never asked them for money to preach the gospel. That's kind of what he's doing here. Now, let's go to our reading at the end of 1 Corinthians 9. This is the very last part of 1 Corinthians 9. And in your bulletin, it's set out in three paragraphs, which the ESV has it in three paragraphs. It's Basically going to be, take each one of those paragraphs, and he's trying to make a point. The point of the first paragraph is that Christians, the, 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 gospel, the Christians are owned by the gospel, the point of the second paragraph is, ironically, no, not, not ironically, Christians are freed by the gospel. And then the point of the third paragraph is that Christians are empowered by the gospel. So first of all, let's look at that first paragraph there starting in verse 16. Christians are owned by the gospel. Here's what Paul says. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Here's what he means. He doesn't mean like psychologically. He doesn't mean like I just, I'm, the gospel's busting out of me and I just have to say it or I'm going to burst. He means like, I don't have a choice. Like, I was told you're preaching the gospel. It's not up to me. It has nothing to do with my decision or my will. God said, you're going to preach my gospel, and I have to do it. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Again, this is not an emotion, this is not emotional language for Paul. He's not saying, I'll just be so miserable. I'll be in woe if I don't preach the gospel. He's saying, like, literally, if I don't, like I'm in big trouble. It's unthinkable. Like if I don't preach the gospel, I'm in, I'm in. It's it's not thinkable. Like my master tells me to preach, I have to preach. 4, verse seventeen, keep on going here. For if I do this of my own will, in other words, like if this is my choice, if I'm like you know what, I, I think I'm really good at preaching. I think that's kind of my gift. I'm going to go and do it. If I do it of my own will, I have a reward. Like if I decide. I have a reward means like pay. He means literally like pay. If this is kind of my skill and I go to the church at Corinth and I'm like, you know what? I'm a good pastor. I have a right to say, you should hire me to come in here and be your pastor. But um, if not of my own will, if this is not me, but it's because I'm a servant of God, if if because I'm a slave of God, he says, you are going to preach to the Corinthians. I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. I still have work to do. But what's my reward? I don't have a reward. Here's what he's saying. I don't get paid by you guys because I'm a servant and servants don't get paid. You see, now Paul, Paul this is not in your reading here. L- later on, go back and look at, at, or you can look in your pew Bibles at the, the reading right before ours in 1 Corinthians 90 basically says this. I have a right to ask, he actually says demand. I have a right to demand payment from you. He says that that two reasons. One is nature. He's like a farmer who grows a crop has a right to eat from the crop. A soldier who serves in the army doesn't pay to serve in the army. He says soldiers get paid to serve in the army. Also from scripture, he quotes Deuteronomy 25 and says, which says, you know, while the ox is pulling the mill to grind the corn, the ox should not be muzzled. It should be allowed to eat from the corn. Also, he quotes from uh, Jesus in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus says the laborer deserves his wages. He says, it's my right as an apostle to demand that you pay me, but I forego that right. And the reason why is, is because I am God's slave and slaves don't get paid. Slaves don't get paid. Um, the basis of your relationship with your job is financial. Like, they offer you money, you show up and they give you money. If they stop paying you money, you would stop showing up. That's not the way it is for slaves. The basis of the relationship between a master and a servant is status. That's the master, you're the servant, you don't have a choice. That's why he says earlier, you don't get to boast. Slaves aren't like, you know, hey, look at this job I got. No, no, you were born into that, or probably in Paul's day, most likely you were kidnapped as, as, uh, as war booty. You don't have anything to brag about, you're a slave, right? I don't get to boast, he says. Now, what's this, so literally, I'm a slave to God. I, I am bound, the gospel binds me to God. I think this is probably, here, sidebar here real quick. This is probably the way that we should think about church workers. I, I don't want to, the super danger here is, is for me to, so, so, I don't know if, some, if anybody's out here like, hey, Aaron, hey Aaron you know, Paul, that's, you should do that too. You should, you should uh, say, I'm not gonna get paid. Part of me wants to say yes to that. I don't want to have a relationship with you that's based upon a financial transaction. Like I'm a hired gun, where you pay me money, and then I come and I preach or visit or whatever, you know. And the reason why is is because I don't want to provide a service to you. I want to be as a slave of God. I want to be your slaves. You know, if, if I start thinking of this as like, will they pay me a certain amount of money? How much does that work out per hour? Okay, well I'm off the clock now. You know, and you call me, and you need help, and I'm like, no, tomorrow morning at eight thirty. That that's not the way that this should work. I should be your slave. I should be there any time for you for any reason. And in response, you should promise lovingly to take care of my family. So I mean, practically, it probably will work out the same way it is now as far as me getting a paycheck from the church. But I don't want to think of it as a paycheck. I want to think of myself as your slave, and you guys as loving masters in the name of Jesus to take care of me and my family. I think we should think of all church workers like that. Maybe, I haven't, even, I haven't sussed this out. I have to think about it. It's always dangerous to start talking anytime without thinking first, especially when you're in the pulpit. Maybe we all of us should think about our vocations this way. I, I don't know. L- let's, leave that, let's leave that last one. But for me, that's the way I want to think of it because the gospel has enslaved me. I don't have a, I don't have a choice. This is what God has called me to do. This is not up to me. If God wants me to be gone, he'll make it clear to us, you know you guys will invite me to leave or God will move me on or something. but but right now this is what God has called me to do, and God has called you to do, to, to, do, uh, to have ministry in the gospel as well. It has enslaved us, okay Now interestingly enough, Paul sees this. Paul sees his own status as the slave of God as being grounds for his liberty of his own freedom, okay? So let's keep on moving to the second paragraph, which is, you know, if the, first, if the first paragraph is the gospel turns us into servants, the gospel owns us, the second paragraph is the gospel, the gospel frees us. Look what Paul says in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all, that I might win more of them. So how does he, he just get, he goes, he says in the first paragraph, he says, I am a servant of God. And then he goes right away and he says, so I'm free from all. How does that work? How does being a servant of God make me free from everybody? Here's the way it works. You guys ever seen uh, the Bishop's Wife with uh, David Niven and Cary Grant? It's kind of a Christmas thing. My kids, I can't remember if this was the first Christmas they watched it or not, but so so they saw, you know. And it's it's David Niven is a bishop. He's an Episcopal Episcopal bishop, and it's kind of a trope in any movies or TV shows about pastors or priests that there's going to be a character in that in that movie or show who's like the extremely wealthy, rich person who kind of actually behind the scenes runs the church. There's a character in this movie too who, you know, I will give money to the church and then the church is going to put a plaque with my name on it on the wall later. That's the deal. And that's kind of a trope. And what happens in that movie is that David Niven, the bishop's character, is owned because that person pays, that person's got money. And, that, and I've actually, I mean, I know it's a movie trope. I've seen that work out in churches before where somebody will say, I donate money to this church, and if this doesn't happen, you're going to lose my donation. What is that? That is using money to try to own. And Now, what what Paul is saying is, is you don't own me because I don't take any money from you. I'm free to say whatever I want because you have no control over me because I don't take money from you. Now, that sounds like very, very postmodern and American. You don't control me. But what does Paul do with that freedom? What does Christian liberty mean for Paul? Paul? Paul's like, I have Christian freedom. Nobody owns me. But that means, he says in verse uh, 19, that I've made myself a servant to all. Somehow because, check this out, Paul is free. Paul is not owned by any one person or any one group because he's a servant of God. That makes him free to serve everybody. So in the movie, there's a tension here, right, between you know, the, 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 and the bishop's, bishop's wife, the very, very rich lady, wants to give money for the building of a cathedral. But there's pressure from other people that, well, why don't you give money to serve the poor? Well, at least at the beginning of the movie, no, no, I give money so that you serve me and my people, not those people. And the bishop finds himself in a position where he can only serve one slice of God's people, one slice of humans, because money earns that right for them to demand it, and you cannot serve these people over here. This is what Paul is saying. Because I'm a servant of God and I'm not owned by any one person, I am free to be owned by everybody. This is what Christian liberty is. Christian liberty is fundamentally not your right to do what you want. Christian liberty Christian liberty is your right to be owned by everybody else. The freedom to be owned by all people. Now what does that mean practically for Paul? Verse 20, To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, dot, 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 that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, dot, 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 that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. Now, there are very divergent groups of people in here. You have the old line. You have the, the, the graybeards, the Jews, those under the law. They've been there a long time. They have traditions. They have standards. They have, they, they have a routine. And you have the new people, the brand new fresh people who come in not looking like anybody else, not talking like anybody else. And Paul says, none of those groups can own me because only God owns me. And since I'm free and not owned by anybody, I'm actually free to be owned by all the groups. But to insist that each one of those groups is not going to own me by themselves. But I will be the servant of all. Does everyone understand that's what he's saying here? Okay. So what does that mean for us? Practically, how would that look like in in our lives as individuals and in the life of the church? Now, here's the part where sometimes I I, I, I say stuff like this and I get in trouble. Three things that we can take from this, you know, know, to to the Jews, I became a Jew, to the weak, I became weak. Three things. First of all, we are under compulsion to make the gospel accessible, to make it intelligible, and to be flexible in in doing that. Accessibility, intelligibility, and flexibility. So what, what, what do we mean by accessibility? So look at verse 21 again. Go back to verse 21. Uh, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not that I'm, he said, Paul's like, Not, I don't mean that like, I don't obey any law. I'm actually under the law of Christ. But to those outside the law, I became as one outside. These are the outsiders, right? The, the non-churchy people. The, the non-conservatives. The, the people who come in and they don't have any sort of sense of like traditions. And this is the way we always do things. They're brand new. And Paul says, with those people, I become like them. I become a servant of them. I become what they need me to be in order for them to receive the gospel. Why, why does Paul, what's Paul's beef with the Judaizers, those under the law? You know, the, the, the Christians, they're Christians, but they, they come, you know, they, they, they were Jews, they're ethnically Jews, they were worshiping Jews beforehand, they've become Christians, and now you see this in Galatians, you see it in Philippians, you see it in Romans, they're like, well, okay, so Jesus, yes, we believe in Jesus. But in order to get there, you got to get circumcised first. That's super clear in the Bible, people. Like, you got to observe Sabbath, you got to eat kosher. You, you know, you have to eat kosher. But what the, what, what's Paul's beef with them is not that they're not Christians, but that they're putting up these barriers to Jesus. Jesus is in there. But you got to get through the kosher Jewish laws first. You've got to get through the tr- traditions of the Father to get inside of there. And Paul is saying, no, to those outside the law, we should be as those outside the law to win them for Jesus. Now, nobody in here is like, if you're going to be a member of St. James Lutheran Church, you got to eat kosher. Nobody's in here like that. What would it be for us? How, is, how, how do we set up barriers to those who are not, who are outside the law? Well, can I, let me give you some examples. And, and again, you can, if you get upset with me, please feedback. I like conversations like this. I'll give you some examples here. Does my sermon, do my sermons, do our Bible studies, does our talking with each other, does it contain theological jargon that even unintentionally functions as a barrier to those who don't know the jargon? Every group has jargon, every group does. It's impossible not to, and it's super convenient to. You ever talk to like IT people? You ever talk to engineers? You ever talk to lawyers, talk to pastors, talk to doctors, whatever? They all have this technical jargon, which they totally get, and when they're with their, their people, they use the jargon because it's super quick and easy, and they all know what it means. The, always the problem with that, though, is that if I hear an IT person talk, or if I listen to a lawyer talk, or a doctor talk, I'm like an outsider. I'm outside the law. I don't know what's going on. We need to be aware. You need to hold me accountable. I need to speak. Like I, I hear every week, I hear about, every week that's an exaggeration. I hear all the time about people who have listened to, like participated in our worship services on the live stream or have heard sermons who aren't really church people or who used to be church people aren't anymore. Like I need you guys to hold me accountable to not use the classic theological jargon which so many of us associate with theological purity we need to be theologically pure but to use it to use the language in a way that even unintentionally provides a barrier we need to be on guard against that okay that's one example here's another example does our worship service does our worship service block outsiders from the gospel here's the one that gets me in trouble does how we do our worship service block outsiders from the gospel are there things that we do that people outside the the law would say, "I I can't get to Jesus because of that, even if they wouldn't use those words. Now, here's a test. Is there stuff in our worship service that could function as a boost to worship instead of a barrier if we explain it? If so, we can keep those things if we explain them. Things that would function as a boost to worship instead of a barrier, If we explain them, we can keep those things. I'll give you an example. The Gloria Patri. We we can do this anywhere in the service, but we here, we we typically do it at the end of the psalm reading. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Now somebody might be like, well, I don't know what, what that's talking about. I'm not saying we should get rid of it because somebody doesn't understand it. If we can teach it and explain it and it becomes a boost to their worship once it's explained, we can keep it. If we can't do it, though, then we should scrap it. I'll give you another example. This is going to be hard for some people to hear. There are some hymns in our Lutheran service book that have tunes that are unsingable. The reason why they're unsingable is because nobody's sung tunes like I'm not talking about the words. Nobody has sung tunes like that in 500 years. Now, I know that some of you, you grew up with these hymns and so they're like dearly precious to you and I'm not I'm not there, there are places and times for those things. But if they function as a barrier if people are like I don't I can't understand the gospel, I can't hear, I can't focus on the gospel because I can't sing this actual tune, then we should scrap it and find the type of tune that people do sing. And what I'm not saying is like, we'll talk about this in just a minute, I'm not talking about like, this is not an advertisement for like cool and trendy music. This is an advertisement for music that people can sing, which will be an aid to them in understanding the gospel. Anything in our worship service that does not boost worship but functions as a barrier. If we can't explain it or we won't explain it, we should scrap it. Third thing, here's the third example. Does our attitude toward the sinfulness of people block outsiders? Is St. James Lutheran Church the kind of church where somebody can walk in and say, I struggle with lust. I struggle really bad with gambling. And people will go to them in love and grace and acceptance in the name of Jesus. If it's not, if it's the kind of place where people are scared to be sinful and broken, then we are putting up a barrier. Even, even, even in the, 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 the noble effort to be like Jesus, to be holy like God is holy, to put up barriers of like, well, we're holy, but we're too holy for that sin. That's, that has to come down. Fourth example, and then I'll be done with these examples. Does our attitude towards strangers, period, block outsiders? Like this church is, is great at this. People walk in and people will go and talk to them. I'm a little bit, Thanks to the past year of COVID, we've, we've gotten out of this habit a little bit of like embracing people we don't recognize. Because, and part of it's just we're wearing masks and we're afraid a little bit of like sickness and, and getting other people sick or what they'll think about us when we approach them, like if we're not careful or we don't care about them. But if, if this place or your life or your home or your attitude is such that people who are strangers to you are not drawn to you personally, we need to change that. I need to change that. This needs to be a place where people, where outsiders can come in. Paul is determined to make the gospel accessible. He's determined to even be non-Jewish to those who aren't Jewish in order that they might um, be able to see and experience the power of the gospel. Accessibility. Second thing, intelligibility. Go back to this, verses 20 and 21. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. It's a little bit different take on what I just said here, but, but, but they're related. Those under the law are the people who have the Bible and have studied it. Those outside of the law are the people who don't really know the Bible very well, who don't, who don't know it. Paul is determined to make the gospel intelligible to both worldviews. When Paul preaches in a synagogue, for instance, what does he do? Bam, he's telling the Old Testament story. He's talking about Moses. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the covenant with Abraham especially. He's talking about the promises that God made to Abraham. He's quoting Isaiah. When Paul preaches in Athens to non-Jews, he doesn't quote the Old Testament one time. Instead, he quotes their pagan philosophers. The gospel must be intelligible to people everywhere. We all need the gospel to make sense to us. There are some people in the world who don't understand the gospel. They They don't understand God's word because they've never been taught it. They just don't know. It's completely foreign to them. There are other people who don't understand the Bible because they've heard it and they've read it and they've studied it their whole life and there's this layer of defense around it. There's these barnacles of, well, a big one is, well, I already know what, I already understand the Bible. I already know what it means. And so there's no sort of like effort to actually understand the Bible. Anybody who says, oh, I get it. I, I, I already know what the Bible says. Well, you know, that's a sure sign that you haven't pierced the outside callous layer Of the traditions that you've wrapped around the Bible, which are protecting it from you understanding it, Paul is determined, and he's calling us to be determined. The Church of Corinth and St. James Lutheran Church to seek to be intelligible to every single person. Like I need, this is for me, and I need you guys to hold me accountable. This I need to. I need to preach the gospel so that those those of you who've been in church your whole life will say that is fresh. That like makes sense to me. I did. I, I, I haven't heard that before. I need to preach the gospel to to, to you in that way. I need to preach the gospel in such a way that unbelievers would say, okay, I I get that. I understand that. I might not agree with it yet, but I see what you're saying. We need to be both ways, right? The gospel needs to be intelligible. Last thing, and this kind of wraps up both of these things, is uh, flexibility. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. Okay, question. Who are the weak Christians in Paul? In the book, of, in the letter to first, in the first letter to the Corinthians, and in the book of Romans, who are the weak Christians? Now, if I ask you, don't think. If I ask you, tell me somebody who's a strong Christian and tell me somebody who's a weak Christian. Think about who you think about who you would say. Now, okay, here's what Paul means. In Paul, do you guys remember this from last week? I didn't explain it, but but we read. In Paul, the weaker Christian. The Christian who's struggling in their faith more is actually the Christian with the higher standards. So don't 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 listen to this in here political language or even theological language. The weaker Christian is the more conservative Christian. The weaker Christian is the religious person who, this is the way we do things. We're faithful. And I, we always, you know, this is the way our worship services always go. That's actually the weaker Christian. It's the person who's like. Nope, we can't eat meat. That would be compromised with the world. The stronger Christian is the one with the lower standards. The stronger Christian is the one who has less scruples. The stronger Christian is typically for Paul the newer Christian who doesn't have all those rules, who experiences more freedom. What Paul is saying is that flexibility. Look, to, to, to think that one of the things Paul is trying to do is to get the, the stronger the, people, the Christians who think that they're stronger to see that they're not the stronger ones, but that they're the weaker ones, and they need the help of the weaker ones. In other words, the stronger Christians need the weaker Christians' help. The weaker Christians need the stronger Christians' help. They all need service to each other. The strong need to serve the, you know, the self-proclaimed strong need to serve the self are or, or the, 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 the ones who've been appointed weak by themselves. The, self, the other side, who also proclaims himself strong, needs to also serve and love the weak. He becomes strong to the strong, he becomes the weak to the weak. Flexibility, intelligibility, and accessibility. It's what it means to be free in the gospel. So we don't have to be owned by a certain style, a certain way, a certain group of people who say this is the way you have to do things. We're not owned by them. In the gospel, we're free to be owned by everybody, not just one group, but by them and by everybody else. Now, last point, and then we'll be done. The gospel empowers us. All this, uh, Paul would certainly have, I mean, he talks like somebody who watched athletic events. The Isthmian Games, which happened around Corinth, kissing cousin to the Olympic Games in the ancient world, Paul certainly saw races and wrestling matches and boxing matches and those sorts. And he pulls in all these, a, the, the agriculture, he pulls on all these athletic images to say this is what this is going to be like. That you're, only one person, there's a winner in a race, and the person who wins the race is the person who runs with purpose. He says in verse uh, 26, I don't run aimlessly, I don't just run around in circles, I run towards that aim, towards that goal. The person who wins the boxing match is the person who lands the most blows on the other person, not the person who's just like boxing into the air. What's Paul saying? First of all, he's not saying this. This is pulled out. Just pull these these 24 through 27 out of context, and you could say, Paul is saying you have to work to get your salvation. He's not saying that. What he's saying is this. The the, the athletic event here is not being saved. The athletic event is loving and serving all people, and Paul is saying it's going to take discipline. You're going to have to work like an athlete to do this. Why? Our default mode is to like the people just like us. I'm not under the law, I just want to hang out with the not under the law people. I am under the law, I just want to serve, I want to be owned by the under the law people. And Paul is saying it's going to take effort to see that I need to be owned by and serve everybody. And the prize is out there and it's promised to you, and so you're empowered to be disciplined and to do this. What's the prize? Go back up to verse 23. I do it all, Paul says, for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with everybody, all these people, in its blessings. I want to share with every single person, every single group, in the blessings of the gospel, Paul says. That's my prize. Through discipline, by the power of the gospel, I can do it. Let me close with this. I am not talking about trendiness or being cool or being hip. That would be being owned by one certain segment. I'm not owned by them. In the gospel, I'm owned by the conservatives. I'm owned by the liberals. I'm, cons- I'm owned by the old-timers, I'm own- owned by the new-timers. I'm owned by the men, I'm owned by the women. I'm owned by the rich, I'm owned by the poor. I cannot afford, under compulsion to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and under the freedom that God has given me from every single person, I can't afford to not be a slave to everybody. That's what Paul is saying. And he's, what, he's what, what God's called us to do. What's he saying? It's not about being cool, it's not about being trendy, it's actually about the heart of the gospel. Jesus is determined to save Jews and non-Jews, conservatives and liberals, the old-timers and the new-timers. That's what God's doing through Jesus Christ. That's what God has called St. James to do. Let's start doing it. Let's go after that prize. It's there and it's promised us. Let's be disciplined to chase after it. Okay, let's stand and then we'll pray and we'll have communion. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would work in us a heart of love for all people. God, I know that I... Look, I'm the worst at this. I, I, I'm comfortable with the people who are like me. I'm comfortable with my theological jargon, sometimes because I, I get to show off my theological training, and sometimes because it's just easy to use code speak. And it's, it's fine too, God, but help me to love other people in such a way that I want to serve them and not just the people who are like me. Help me, help me to like, work in my heart, God. Love the, the, Your love for me. Work it out through me. To everybody else, so that I can be free, so that St. James Lutheran Church can be free to be all things to all people. Not for, certainly, like keep us pure too, God. We, we want to be holy. We want to be totally committed to your truth. But We want to be on your mission to rescue everybody. Put us on that mission. Lord, in your mercy. God, be with everybody who's sick and who's struggling. And uh, I, I pray again, uh, this morning for Joyce, and that you would be her, be with her in her back pain, and she's back home now, but still struggling with pain. That you would pour strength and energy and healing into her body, and strength and energy and healing into her soul. Encourage her in your gospel. Encourage her in her love in in your love for her. Encourage her in your promise to raise her up at the last day. And all of us, God. I also pray that you would be with a friend of my family's, uh, Troy, who uh, fell and was hurt badly this week and is in the hospital. Give him healing and uh, give hope and comfort to his wife and to his parents. Lord, in your mercy. Father, I thank you for all the churches that you've raised up in our area and the way that your Holy Spirit is uh, spreading the gospel everywhere. I want to thank you uh, for our sister churches and especially this morning. Uh, for Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, and for Pastor Schenck there. And I pray that as your word is preached and taught there, that, um, and as your sacrament is celebrated, that uh, the saints there would be sanctified in you, and that unbelievers who hear this word would be irresistibly drawn to it so that they believe in it. I pray that you would be with all of the, the gospel-preaching churches in our area. Uh, bless them this morning with your Holy Spirit power. Raise us all up so that we can see your kingdom grow here in Glen Carbon and Edwardsville. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray these things only because your son Jesus has died for us. Only because he's invited us into your throne room. And now we sit on your lap as your sons and your daughters. And you lovingly hold us and promise to give all good things. And that's what we're praying for. We're we're praying this morning for all your good things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the life of the world to come. Amen. And now let's pray in Jesus' name the Lord's prayer that He taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat. This is My body given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
2: What wondrous love.